turn to Genesis chapter 1. And as we're looking here this morning, we start with verse 9. Genesis chapter 1, starting there with verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Our Heavenly Fathers, we are in this place today. Your word is all we need. The very word of God that we are, are, are looking at right now, that we're reflecting upon, that we're hiding deep within our hearts, Father, it can change who we are. And we see a nature in you today that, that we cannot forget the fact that you are a God who redeems. And God, you are a God who made a plan to redeem men before we were even created. You set the, the, the wheels in motion for redemption because you knew that we were not going to be able to do this without you. So God, would you speak to our hearts today? Would you draw people to, to true repentance, true communion with you, Father? Because we know that you are alone worthy of our praise. In your most holy name, amen. You know, as we're looking at this, I, I think it's interesting. and maybe some points that we need to make um, as we're reading through the Genesis account. No doubt, it's, it's important to know what days things were created on. I, I I mean, we teach our kids that all the time, don't we? You know, what, what, what day was, what, what day were the fish created on? Or what day were, what day were deer created on? What day was man created on? We teach our kids in Sunday school and Awanas and things like that, these essentials. But practically speaking, as we're in this place today, I believe there's more to Genesis than just an account of how things are created. As we're looking into Genesis, we see the very nature of God. And a a nature point that we need to make of who he is, guys, I want you to understand this, that the creator brings order to chaos. When you're looking in Genesis 1, 9 and 10, you see where God takes the waters and he separates it, and and the world was a very different, different place in creation. That we also understand that there was water in the skies and there was water below, and then on the earth there was water, and then God separates that water, and now we have land and water. And it says he calls the land, land, right? Some translations say he calls it earth. It's dry ground. The waters, it says he calls seas. Now, I want you to understand that God is a God who takes things that are chaotic and, and they just don't work, and he makes them work. When I, when I think about who God is to Daniel, he, he's a God who took a very confused and, and a, a accident-prone and and troublemaking youth, and he turned me into someone that can follow his will. Not not because I'm good or whatever, but he does it because that's who he is. In in our lives before Christ, were we not in a chaotic state? Were we not living just to please ourselves or just to please society or the people around us? But when you come to Jesus, something fundamentally changes and God takes the chaos and he makes it unchaotic. He can write unchaotic down. I just created a word, I think. I'm not sure that that's even used most of the time. But he he creates a world where chaos does not exist anymore. He's making it uh, something beautiful. And the very nature of God is that even in our chaos, God can make something beautiful out of it. How many of you are going through chaos right now? There are things in your life you're just like, this is chaotic. 
This doesn't make sense, God. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. But if we trust in him, that he is able to bring order to our chaos. God is a God who does that. Another thing I want us to look at this morning is that he brings redemption to the lost. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ today? You should be super happy. You should be excited to know that God has saved you. And if you are unsaved this morning, if you are lost, if you don't know Christ, today you can know him. I speak of God in those terms because I think a lot of times we get a picture that God is just some uh, long, white-haired, Gandalf-looking person up in the clouds that's looking down on us and he's, he's smashing people on their heads with his thumb. Guys, I want you to understand God is a God of love. Is he a God of justice? Yes. Is sin sin? It is. But God is a God who redeems. He sees us as we are and he wants to change us where we're at. And today, if you know Christ, be rejoicing in that. If you don't, understand that this is the God that at least we speak about here at First Baptist. I can't, I can't vouch for every other church in the world, but I'll tell you what, that when you look at Scripture, we see a God who is a God of redemption. He created land. As you're reading through verses 9 and 10, you see where God actually creates land. Have you ever really thought about that before? Again, it's that idea that he's a God who can take a chaotic, unproductive thing and make it good. He creates land. And for me, when I'm thinking spiritually as I'm reading through Genesis chapter 1, he creates land so a tree can grow. And as that tree grew, it was turned into the cross of Calvary. God had a plan from the beginning to redeem you and I. Have you ever thought about that before? That creation is not just something that we can say, oh, we've got trees so we can put in the fireplace or build a home with or admire in the fall or in the summer. But God created a tree and he knew that that tree was going to exist and that that tree would be harvested to become the cross of Calvary. And upon the cross of Calvary, Christ Jesus himself would hang there for your sin and for my sin. You see, God is the God who brings order to chaos. He has a plan. If you're wondering what God's plan is for your life, hey, he has it. He has a plan for your life. And it's not always clear in our minds, but if we would just trust and obey the God of creation, we can understand this, that he is a God who has a plan. I love a God who can create dirt. And here in just a, a few verses we read where he creates trees. And they, uh, he, he creates them and not that he just creates them and they just exist, but he puts within them the ability to reproduce so that trees always exist. Isn't that cool? He doesn't just create fish so they can swim through the ocean and then they die in a, in a time, or they you know, eat each other or whatever, because that comes later. We, know, we understand that. But he creates within even nature the ability to reproduce. God takes a chaotic thing and makes it produce good. And honestly, when you're reading through Genesis, we read it time and time again. God creates something, he speaks it into existence, and then he says, it's good. He created waters. Now, we, we see the lands created, and then the waters, the waters are there, but then he, he organizes the waters into basically like, um, you know, I guess you could say three different areas of water. You've got the water above, the water below, which is literally water in the earth, and then you've got water on the earth that he separates into seas. Have you ever thought for a moment that God created water knowing that those would be the waters that people would be baptized in? He knew that from the beginning. 
It's not, it wasn't something new when he, when he found out that Adam and Eve had failed. It wasn't something new when he saw that you would one day need to be baptized and saved. It's nothing new. God had a plan. God had a plan through all of this. And he created these waters so we could follow him in baptism. While we were still sinners, he had a plan for you, church. While we were sinners, before we even were born, he had a plan for us. What's really cool is before people were even created, he created things so that we could be saved later after we fell. That's the God you serve. A lot of times people say, man, I I get who God is. You know, he's, he's creator, he's, he's out there. Jesus came and he taught good things. You know, it's interesting when I see people talk about um, things like not judging or loving your neighbor. They always quote Jesus, even if they're a non-believer. Have you ever noticed that? Well, Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. Well, okay. Jesus was also there in the beginning creating things so you could be saved. Jesus also said that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father except through him. Do we forget all the verses that Christ uh, is spoken of and the things he said? And so when we're looking at this idea of who Jesus is, this idea of who creator is, Jesus wasn't just some hippie guy that came, you know, there 2,000 years ago, but he was actually creator God who was there in the beginning. We read that in John. John starts off his gospel explaining who Jesus is. That he wasn't just some guy that came to teach, but he was there in the beginning and there wasn't anything created that was not created by him. There wasn't anything created that wasn't created through Christ. He's a God of creation. He is a God who who brings order to chaos. He is a God who redeems the lost. He's a God that can create land so that plans can happen. He's a God who creates water so that people can be baptized. Guys, is it important that we understand that that we need to, to make sure our salvation in Jesus Christ today? It is because there's a plan already in place. I hear a lot of people, man, I don't know what our plans are. I don't know what we're gonna do. God, I don't know what your plan is for me. But as we're reading through this passage, guys, we understand that God has a plan, and so we have to trust Him. We have to trust who He is. Psalm 91. Look there in Psalm 91. The psalmist writes some wonderful things for us to consider today. Of course, we just got off a big study on David and his life, but in in the Psalms, David writes some just wonderful things that are, are wise, yes, but they're they're from an experienced person, a person who has experienced who God is. Look there in verse 1 of Psalm 91. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. As you think about those words this morning, as you think about that, the, the, the words, the, there's an action that's involved here for some other things to happen. It says, he who dwells in the shadow of the Most High. Don't forget that. We have to be dwelling with Christ today. That that needs to be a part of who we are. That we are making an effort to follow our God. To dwell. How many of us today are dwelling with God? Can you truly say that? 
I'm not just saying here this morning at First Baptist that you're sitting in church and you feel close to God right now and you're dwelling right here, you know. But the thing is, is that we need to understand that as believers, we need to make sure that we're dwelling close to our God. Are you hearing that this morning? The God who has a plan, the God of creation, the God who does all of this, we need to make a conscious decision every day to follow Him, to dwell in Him. Now, that's not what saves us, guys. I want you to understand this. I'm not saying that, that doing good works is going to save you, but here's what I will say to you, is that if you are truly saved and you're dwelling, good works will follow. Things are going to come out of your life because God is just going to shine through you. God is going to shine through you. And here we see where God desires that His people dwell with Him. Are you dwelling with God today? Is that, is that what you're doing? Are you making a, a, a decision today that I'm going to dwell with God? The church is, is, is a great place to, to know Jesus. I agree. But the thing is, is a lot of times in our churches, we just come here and we think that this is the idea of dwelling, and then we go out there and we live like hell the rest of the week. That's kind of rough, Dan, Daniel, to say that. It is rough, but it's truth. A lot of times we do not pick up the cross and carry Jesus, the cross of Jesus when we leave here. We just go out there and we live like however we want to live. We watch what we want to watch. We say what we want to say. We do what we want to do instead of walking out of these doors and living as a person who follows Jesus. You understand, guys, that we're not our own anymore. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are His. We are the sheep of His pasture. And so our lives should be dedicated to doing the will of God in our life, and that is dwelling with Jesus. Can I have an amen on that? That you are dwelling with God, that that is something you do. You make a point. As a pastor, years and years ago, as I, I felt the call of God on my life. And, and I made a decision that I was going to follow Jesus and I was going to, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ all the days of my life. I did. That was something that God placed in my heart, and I said, I'm, I'm answering that call. But you know what happened before then? This is what's interesting. Maybe we missed this. But at the age of nine, when I accepted Jesus as my Savior, I decided I was going to follow Him. Actually, one of the songs they were playing the night that I was saved was, I have decided to follow Jesus. Probably a lot of us can have the same testimony. I remember them playing that song when I was saved. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to dwell with the creator of the universe. And that in that dwelling, I'm going to find the plan because he has a plan for me. That in that dwelling, I'm going to find that he, he's not, he doesn't just have us out here just kind of guessing what's going to happen next. But he has a plan and so we seek to follow him. You know, tonight we have our business meeting. And I, I know it's Super Bowl Sunday. But, but you know what? I'll give you a hint. I got, I got some insider news on the Super Bowl tonight. One team's going to win, and one team's going to lose. And next year, the Patriots will be back. No, I'm just kidding. Next year, some of you are like, no, please. Please let it be Dallas. I'm like, well, we can hope. But you see how much stock we put into a football game? But we don't even consider what God's plan is for our lives as hard as we do considering who's going to win the Super Bowl. That's not dwelling. That's not dwelling with God when we're more concerned about a game. We're more concerned about how much money we make. 
we're more concerned about, uh, you know, we got a livestock show next week, right? If we're more concerned, if that means more to us to show animals than Jesus, if, if, if our jobs are more important than us than Jesus, if our politics are more important to us than Jesus, we're not dwelling. We're not dwelling with him. We need to be dwelling with Christ. That we live a life in which we say, I have decided to follow Jesus. He goes on here in Psalm 91. He says, I will say to the Lord, okay, look at verse 3 there. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. As we're reading through these next few verses, I want you to understand that there is a, a change in a person's life when they dwell in God. There's some blessings that happen. He says here that, that he, he, will, he will be a person who, uh, once we dwell with him, he's going to deliver us. We all need a deliverer in this world. We all do. And from the snare of the fowler, he says we're going to be able to, to get out of that. From the deadly pestilence, verse 4, he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. We get this picture of God that he will cover you with his pinions, or, or maybe a better translation of that is feathers. He, he will cover you with his feathers. We get this idea of a, of a God who will, who will be there to protect us, that he covers us. When you dwell in God, he's going to protect you from, from the things of this world. He's going to give you what you need in this world. He's going to protect you from ultimately dying without him. Verse 7, A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look at, into, with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your what? Your dwelling place. I don't know about you, but when I'm reading through Scripture and I see an idea repeated, that probably means it's important. He who dwells, those who dwell, it's important, church. The work of the gospel in our lives is a great and powerful thing, but do not, do not forget to dwell in God. He goes on here, he says that this happens, that if, if we find him to be our dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, verse 10, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague to come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Verse 12, on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent, you will trample underfoot. Guys, God is, he's not left us in this world alone. We often say, you know, never, never, you know, fly faster than your angel can fly. You've ever heard that before? The thing is, is that God, God really does protect his people. Do we get sick? Yep. Do, do, do the things of this world get us down? They do. But ultimately, God is victor in the lives of those who dwell in him. Can I remind you what Revelation 21 talks about? What does Jesus do to every tear? He wipes every tear away. He brings total peace and understanding to those who dwell in him. And it says there that those who fight through, who persevere, he's going to bless them with eternal life. Guys, we, we are too blessed to not put God on the throne of our hearts. 
And if you dwell with him, he's going to do great things in your life. He's going he's to make it possible for you to live a life that's, that's worthwhile. And ultimately, we're not just going to be, you know, living alive and then dying and going to a, a tomb somewhere. But rather, as a believer in Jesus Christ, when we die, we just go to be with him. That's a blessing. We're, we're not a hopeless people. And so as you're looking here, we see that he who dwells, guys, we must first dwell with him. Also, he is redeemer. How many of you believe that Christ is the redeemer of mankind? We say that, man, yes, he's the redeemer. If he's redeemer, then let him redeem. Dwell. He who dwells is going to be blessed with redemption. And so if we're dwelling with God, he's going to be redeemer. But we need to be dwelling with him. He will redeem us. He will save us. He will save us. We need to be saved. All of us here need to be saved. Look at verse 14. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him. This is God speaking to those who dwell. Because. That's an important word there. Because he holds fast to me, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Verse 15, when he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Again, it's that idea, that very nature of God, that he is redeemer. Isn't it awesome that you can look in the book of Genesis and see a God who has a plan, a God who brings order to chaos, and you get to, to Psalm 91 and you see the same type of God, a God who's bringing order, a God who's bringing redemption upon people. All through scripture, we see this same God. They're not separate stories. They're all telling the same story of who God is. Probably Moses in Genesis telling the story or some other writer. We, we want to think it's Moses as far as we know. Uh, we know that back then they did a whole lot of, you know, oral telling of stories. And so these, uh, when Genesis was being told and told and told, but we think that Moses kind of penned it. And then you get to, to Psalm and you got David who's writing poetry and he's like, God is the same here as he was in Genesis. And, and, and God was the same in, in Genesis and in Psalm as he is in the Gospels and as he is in the Epistles, as he is today and as he will be in eternity. God is always the same. And we must be encouraged and, 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 and to, to live a life that we understand that he's always the same. He is Redeemer. I love verse 15. It says, With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. God wants to show salvation to people. God wants to. How many of us in here have people in our lives that don't know Jesus? All right? And we look at people that don't know Christ and a lot of times we say, well, I don't want anything to do with them. They live this kind of lifestyle. They... They talk this way, they vote this way, they, they're different than me, whatever. We look at people in those terms. And, and there are people in your life, I have no doubt today, that you don't want to talk to. But the thing is, is that God in His righteousness, in His perfect mind, that God that we're speaking of this morning, He looks at people and He says, I want you to be saved. I want to show you my salvation. That's our call, guys. It's to understand that God wants all people to be saved. It's not just something, well, I've been a Baptist my whole life. I've been saved since I was nine. 
I'm so happy in that. I'm glad you're happy in that. But church, never forget that there are people that need to know Christ in this world today. And God's desire as a redeemer, as a person who brings order to chaos, that God I'm speaking of this morning, he desires that all people know him. And he invites the church, that's you and I, he invites us to go and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He invites us to be a part of this work. If we just choose to go the other way, that's, that's a shame because God has a plan. The same God who created water for baptism and land to grow trees for the cross of Christ, that same God wants to work in your life today. Are you encouraged with those thoughts? Is that something that you're just like, man, that's, that's good. I, I need to remember that. That he's a God who, if I dwell with him, he, he will redeem. He will save. He is the author of salvation. That is who he is. He's the author of salvation. This morning, turn to Galatians 3. I'm going to wrap with these couple verses here. Because I think this is important. I I can't come off of a week of uh, studying in-depthly about baptism and its importance without talking a little bit about baptism this morning. Because there may be some of you here today that at some point made a decision to follow Jesus, but you've never been baptized. And I, I want to talk to you in particular this morning because I, I want you to see why it's important that you hear the call and that you are baptized. And I know a lot of times we're like, well, that's, that's uncomfortable. I don't want to get up in front of everyone. I don't want to, to do this. I don't want to do that. Guys, here's the call for every person that follows Jesus is that we are all baptized It does not save us, but I believe it is a very important part of every believer's walk is that we follow in baptism. Because baptism is a very personal thing. Salvation is a very personal thing. But guys, it's also a very public thing. You are not saved just to glorify yourself. You are saved to glorify God. And through your salvation and your baptism, other people can see the truth. And other people can be affected. Can you imagine if all pastors in the world all of a sudden decided to keep the faith to themselves? We're starting to see it in some churches today. Though. Preachers don't preach the gospel. They just want to tell you how to be your best self today. Beware of those preachers. If a preacher gets up and tells you, hey, you're a pretty good person, you need to be- beware of that person. They're not preaching the truth. The Bible teaches us that none of us are good. No, not one. We all need Christ. We all need Jesus. You know, if we're all so good, why do we need a Savior to save us? You see what I'm saying? There's problems in that. And and, and people under the guise of Christianity, they, they have churches and they have ministries, and all they do throughout their ministries is just tell people how good you are. Keep sending the dollars, brother. How good you are. Keep coming and filling our churches instead of reminding people that we need a Savior. And that may sound like a negative message to a lot of people. Well, Daniel, I don't want to come to church and hear that I'm a bad person. Well, okay, don't come here because I'm going to tell you that every week. I'm going to remind you that you need a Savior. And I don't preach that self-righteously like I've got it all together. No, I'm, I'm a bad person and I need a Savior too. I need Christ in my life. If it wasn't for Him, I couldn't do anything. But the thing is, is that... As we're here today, look at these, this call to baptism, this call to, to truly following Christ. And if you're, if you're a person who's followed Christ and you've been baptized today, that's great. Remember what baptism was about and what baptism meant in your life. 
Remember, never forget that. Never forget that. Be reminded and encouraged. Galatians chapter 3, starting with verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Guys, understand this, that at one time, the only thing people had to, to do was to look forward to salvation coming. You know, they had faith. That is all they had. They just had to, to have faith that Jesus was coming, that Messiah was coming. All they had to do was to look forward, that they knew one day that there would be a Messiah to come into the world to die for people. And those people had faith in that, and they trusted in that. Understand that those same people, they were trusting in a plan that God had set forth in motion. But now, as, as Christ has came, you've got these people, they were looking for Jesus. We look back and we see that what Christ did on the cross, amen? I'm not up here preaching a message of, well, one of these days Jesus is going to save people. No, he's already done it. Salvation has already been done for mankind if we will just trust and obey, if we'll just believe. As we look to the cross today to understand the, the, the importance of baptism, that baptism is not just something that you and I just say, man, we're Baptists and so we baptize. But no, you understand that baptism is something that's not just very personal to you in your own personal walk, but it, that's one of the first times that you will tell the world what Jesus can do in your life. If you've never been baptized, and you've missed an opportunity to be a preacher that day. And you guys know I say this every time, that the greatest sermon you'll hear is from a water in which someone is being baptized in. The greatest sermons that you'll ever hear from the waters of baptism. That is a true statement because that is exactly what it is about. People deciding to follow Jesus. And truly, if we look at, at, at our, our evangelistic outreaches here as a church or, you know, how many people are saved within our church, and I see it all the time. We'll have kids come to, to vacation Bible school or something or maybe Awanas or they come to Sunday school or people come to the altars and they're saved, but they never follow in baptism. You understand that that speaks a little bit to the heart of the situation is that some people are saying, yes, I'll follow Jesus, but they really don't want to sell it all to him. They don't want to give it all. We understand that we are given to Christ through that baptism. That is, that is a part of all of this. That discipleship, yes, we need to disciple. But baptism is, is a direct measurement of evangelism within our churches. Baptism proclaims the decision of a Christian in a public and a private manner. When I was baptized, I can remember it just being a really awesome situation. When I baptize other people, that, I rejoice in that. But it's also, it's not just something that's, that's private. It's not just something that you enjoy on a private level, but you are proclaiming to the world of who Jesus is and what he can do, of who he is and what he can do. 
Believer's baptism, it declares the power of the gospel. When we see someone baptized, that's someone saying, I used to be a sinner. I used to be hopeless. I used to be someone who had no future, but today I proclaim Jesus that now I am risen with Christ to new life. Church today, you see why it's important that we, that we make sure our, our walk is right with Jesus. You understand that today? Because I think a lot of times we just think, well, I don't know what God's plan is for me. I don't know what it is that God has in store for me. I don't know. But the, th- the thing is, is that if we dwell with him, we can know the plan. And if we don't know the plan, it's probably because we're not dwelling very closely. We're more concerned with what Facebook says, or we're more concerned with what the news says, or what, you know, society says. We're more concerned with those things instead of saying, God, what is it that you want for my life? And what the Lord wants from his church is for us to be dedicated to him. That if you're a believer in Jesus, remember your salvation. (laughs) Remember your baptism. Remember the things that God has done for you. If you've never been baptized, make that decision that, God, today I'm going to follow you in baptism. I'm going to quit saying, well, I'm too old, or I don't like the water, or or, I don't like being in front of people. You're going to say, no, Jesus, here's what's important to me, is that I want people to know who you are to me. That, yes, my relationship with you is very personal, but it's also something that's designed to be public. We're not called to, to live our lives in a private manner. There's interesting point to, uh, to baptism. In the Muslim world, if, if you are baptized into the Christian faith, uh, the Muslims see that as a very heretical thing in a big way. Because they, they do baptisms of sorts. They, they consider baptism to be holy. But when you're baptized to Christ, that is an opportunity that a lot of them see to disown people. In a lot of countries, if you're baptized to Christ, you lose citizenship, you lose your job, and your family disowns you. You guys think you got it rough? Well, I don't want to get up in a, in a pulpit, behind the pulpit, and be baptized in front of everybody. Are you losing your family? Are you losing your job? Are you losing your citizenship to your nation? We're not. And it's, it's, it's a shame that even in the Christian church today, that there are a lot of churches today that are doing secret baptisms of Muslims so that they don't lose these things. Guys, I get that. It's scary. And, and you'd want to think about it probably before you were baptized, whether you, know, you want to do this and lose everything. But the thing is, is that our baptisms were never meant to be quiet. They were meant to be proclamations. And even here in the state of Oklahoma, there are churches that are doing secret baptisms of Muslims so that they don't cause a stir in their families. Here's the thing. The gospel is meant to cause a stir. Jesus is the cornerstone. Actually, when we speak of the cornerstone, it talks about people stubbing their toes on it. The gospel is offensive. The gospel is something that stirs the hearts of men, and it should change lives, and it will change lives. And so we don't keep it to ourselves. Guys, quit keeping your faith to yourself. I'm not saying be a jerk about it. There's some Christians that need some education on how to proclaim the gospel. We're not called to be jerks, but we are called to be truthful. We are called to proclaim. And what are we proclaiming? Back to Genesis, what we spoke on this morning. We have a God who has a plan. And when we don't follow his plan, that's saying we don't trust you, God. God, I don't trust you that 
We should tell people about you. I don't trust you that uh, I need to forgive people. I don't trust you that, that we need to be baptized. That's what we're telling God. I don't trust you. And the importance of Genesis is that we're reminded of how powerful and how big God is and that we can trust him. He's a God who has a plan. He is a God who brings order to chaos. He is a God who redeems. Amen? Would everyone stand this morning? And I, I want to ask you this morning that if baptism is something you've never done, I implore you, I encourage you to come forward this morning and say, Brother, I know Christ, but I want to follow him in baptism. I want to be baptized today, and it's, it's been a personal thing to know Jesus, but today I want to be baptized. I want to make that decision to be baptized so that I can make a very public proclamation of who Jesus is. If that is you, I want to give you these time, this time just to come to these altars. Maybe today you've never asked Christ to be your Savior. Today's the day of salvation. The Bible teaches us that we've all fallen short of God's glory but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you but trust him, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Today, if you do not know Christ, I invite you to come and to know Jesus today. It's not my words that are pulling you. It's the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to your heart right now that things need to change. There are other decisions you need to make in your life, other proclamations that you need to make in your life. I want to ask you to come to these altars. These altars are open. Amen. Mm-hmm.